I have a great uh, sermon ready for you today. I feel like like the Holy Spirit's really just given me a word for you. And um, today's sermon is called A Captive's Handbook. Can I get a bit more on this mic, please? Um, Did you know that when I preach a sermon, that the week before the sermon, uh, here's what I would say about this. The week before the sermon, you're learning what you don't know about the sermon. Awake my soul and sing, awake my brain and think. Meaning what was happening in your life the week before the sermon, the sermon by the Holy Spirit of God and the preaching of the word of God explains the week and gets you ready for the next one. So it's all very uh, timed by the Holy Spirit. Now I just get to go through all of, I get to go through the sermon the week before the sermon so that I'm kind of ready for where you're at. And so, so your week last week, because I'm preaching a sermon called the captive's handbook, it's like asking God, Lord, make me humble. God's like, I can do that. Here's a week that's awful. Learn humility. Did anybody have a, a like a monopoly week last week? If I could just guess, you know, like you had a week that's like, do not pass go. Do not collect 200 bucks and go straight to jail. (laughs) Come on, you gotta help me preach a little bit. Anybody, you can be honest, it's okay, it's okay. Why don't you look at your neighbor and just be like, he's talking to you, it's okay. Make some emotional contact with people, it's good. You won't spread COVID doing that, sitting with your cohort family, giving them a little emotional love. Here's what I would ask about your week, if you felt like uh, your week maybe wasn't the best week. Did you spend your week um, not passing go, not collecting 200 bucks and being straight in jail? Did you spend your week in jail trying to escape jail? That's what we do, right? Like, God, I just, I don't like the situation I find myself in. I didn't sign up for this. I'm paying for somebody else's mistake. God, I, I like the future and what you want from me. Like, I, I know that you want this, but I'm so far away from it right now. I'm dealing with, I'm cleaning all this stuff up. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried. The week leading up to this is creating the perfect temperature for God to step in and be like, hey, okay, good. You ready for the sermon today? I'm ready to preach it if you're ready to hear it. Here's, here's, um, anybody remember King David and King Saul, who David took over from? You know, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably heard those names. See, Saul was the people's choice. Saul, they looked at Saul and are like, oh, he's obviously needs to be our king because he stood head and shoulders above the rest of the people. And sometimes you and I, we, we want God to, to do that in us. We want him to, to set us head and shoulders above the people. And the things that we value are more along the lines of image. But see, God picks David, who, who is, he called him a man after his own heart. But David was just a shepherd boy in the field. And it, they described Saul as this amazing king who stood head and shoulders above the people. And David as, as just like a boy, a teenager, and then it describes him as like ruddy-faced. That's so how you describe like, good morning, sweetheart. You look, you look all ruddy-faced this morning. That means like red-faced. Now, if you're in a Bible character, who wants to be described by the word of God for all time as the boy who had a red face? It sounds sort of funny, but God doesn't look at what you and I look at. And what you are trying to strive so hard for in your life right now, God probably doesn't want to give you because God doesn't have the same values as you have. 
See, Saul, they, they picked Saul, and Saul, who was a giant in his own land, but Saul all of a sudden faces Goliath. That's how you've been facing Goliath. And Saul was the best equipped in his uh, nation to deal with Goliath, but here's what I want to say to you. Saul wasted his Goliath moment. And David didn't. Neither of them signed up for it. Saul spent his Goliath moment trying to escape Goliath. Are you spending your Goliath moment? There's a giant for you to kill. There's a mountain for you to climb. Are you wasting your Goliath moment trying to escape Goliath? David didn't. David ran towards Goliath. I want you to do that today. After I preach this sermon, I'm going to show you how to do it. The world often promotes talented people hoping their character will catch up. And it's not what you want. Like, God, promote me. Or like, God, I'm lonely. Give me a husband. Like, give me these things. And then we hope that our talent or our skill catches up with us. But God doesn't choose things like, choose people like that. He chooses people with character and causes their talent to catch up. Which means that, that you're trying to build the parent uh, skill that you need. But if you choose character over what it looks like, God can bring the talent and the skill to you. He has the ability to be able to do that. That's just how God does that. See, character right now is what's keeping you from the throne. But here's what I know about King Saul is that the throne to Saul was the worst thing that could have happened to Saul. And you want that promotion. You want God to take care of your situation. But that's the worst thing that can happen to you if you try to do it in the way that the world does, which is like, give me image first. Give me the platform first. Give me these things first. When God is like, I could, but it would wreck you. Why don't we build character first? How do I know somebody has character, pastor? A person will tell you if they have character by the small things that they do. See, the world is like, just get ready for game day. And God's like, no, come to practice. It's the small things that they do that can tell uh, you if a person has character or not. Somebody said something to me one time. They were looking at maybe hiring somebody or going into business with somebody. And they said something and they watched how they did a small thing and they didn't like it. And they said, how you do anything is how you do everything. And that always stuck with me. How you do anything is how you do everything. How I do anything is how I do everything. Hmm. The small things. A person will tell you they have character by their small habits. A person of image, maybe this is describing you. A person of image has to tell you that they have character so that you stop asking awkward questions. If anybody's got to tell you that they're honest too much, like I'm super honest. Why would you have to say that? Honest people just think that people are honest, right? Somebody writing that down right now. Stop telling people I'm honest. People who say they're always bragging about how much they how generous they are. To me, I'm always like, I know you're not giving anything. I, I know, I already know, I'm a pastor, it's okay. How you do anything is how you do everything. I had a, a shop foreman one time, who one of, the, one of my crew came to work one day and he's like, I saw him on the weekend filling up his motorcycle on the company card at the bulk station. And I realized, you know what? He, he lost his influence in the life of that crew member that day, because how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you steal what you'll get caught doing, you're stealing everything else anyways. And it's this, then I worked for a different boss before that who said, yeah, I could steal, take stuff from the shop little bits at a time and nobody would notice. The only trouble is I'd have to live with me. Yeah. And I thought there's the difference between the two of those. One had influence in my life and the other did not. The other had a position. The other one had a position and influence. Yeah. 
And I would suggest to you that if you, people, you feel like people aren't respecting you, aren't listening to you, okay, we got to work on this thing called character because character is the single thing in your life that will do the most towards this. Character builds trust. Why do children in a home go to bed and sleep soundly and wake up in the morning and feel confident? They do it when mom or dad is the same person in the morning as they are at night. They do it when they know that they're going to wake up and see their mom reading their Bible. They know it if mom's not going to be in a bad mood, dad's not going to wake up in a good mood one morning and in a bad mood the next morning. It's called character. It is what builds trust. It is what brings peace. It's that sense of character that you have. How you do anything is how you do everything. Listen, the lid of your influence is not your ability, your talent, or your family of origin. So stop thinking like that. It is not where you came from. It is not how you started. It's how you finished the race. It's not what you came to church dealing with. It's what you're going to leave church having dealt with by the grace of God. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Character, it seems very hard if you have a life of sin or a life of bad choices. Character is not hard to build. It's very easy to build. You think, oh, I got it. No, no, no. It's not hard to build. Image says, I have to do this up here. Character is like, I have to do. Here's, here's how we're going to build character today. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. Here's how we build it. One habit at a time. Your habits, what you do in the little things, are what builds character. And if we can fix one habit today, you built a bit of character. And then we do one tomorrow, and we build a bit of character. Character is the easiest thing in the world to build and the easiest thing to lose. Habits are what keep you from losing character. Your habits, how you do little things, how you do everything. Thanks, Sean. I am. Um, how many people are glad it's not how you start the race? I know some of y'all. Yeah, you can clap. Most people are spend their jail time trying to escape jail. Or their Goliath time trying to escape Goliath. With me, I grew up in the trades. I spent some of my apprenticeship trying to escape my apprenticeship. Because back then, life wasn't real soft in the trades world, you know. It wasn't like, hey, how you feeling, Corey? You feel good this morning? You feel strong enough to help me with this thing? <laughs> now I was mostly yelling and screaming and stuff. And, and uh, so it wasn't the easiest thing in the world. My apprenticeship, you know, I worked for a guy. Did I talk about the weird Christian? Yep. The guy that I worked for? Anyways, he was a great electrician. I will say this about him. Um, and so, but I was doing dairy barns by myself as a first-year apprentice. Like, I mean, who does that, right? <laughs> People who want to lose all their cows. I mean, that's a... <laughs> so I was trying to keep up to imagine this, like... A kid trying to keep up as a first year, not knowing anything, trying to wire all the lights in a dairy barn, you know, way higher than that ceiling. And I'm, 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 I have wires tied around my waist, walking across trusses that aren't blocked in. And if I fall, I either die or I break my legs and wish I was dead, you know, and nobody to keep it free over here. I'd have to come down every now and again, just to stop shaking. This is before safety. John knows what I'm talking about in the trades world, right? Y'all office people don't know. Somebody actually got to climb up there and do that. And, uh, and so my apprenticeship, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world. I was trying to keep up with crews of like six guys doing dairy equipment and there's me. So I'd eat lunch at three or four in the afternoon. I have that like man headache where my brain finally just stops functioning. And it, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world. I, I replaced a, a panel one time as a second year apprentice in a house. Now who puts a second year apprentice in a house with no help? It's like, hey, fix this panel. You know, the, the fridge is getting colder. Cause you got to turn all the power off and the, the freezer of meat is getting cold and you're like, and I got to get everything up and running and not blow anything up. And I actually did that one Friday. Now who, what kind of boss does a panel change on a Friday afternoon? Like 
If it goes wrong, I've just lost my weekend, you know, and so I'm in there as a second year, not really knowing what I'm doing, doing the best I can. I finally got everything working, and I come to work Monday, and I'm expecting a pat in the back, and I get a tongue lashing, and this is what, why, because, because what I had done was, I had done all the work right, but what I hadn't done was, I, well, see, I, I cleaned everything up into the middle of the laundry room, but the customer was constantly complaining about how much everything was costing, so I thought, well, I'll just clean it all up here, and then they can take it out so that I don't have to charge them for it, and then... She came home from work for the weekend on a Friday night and found the garbage in a pile in the middle. And then I got, you know, a talking to from my boss because she was mad about that. And I realized that day, you know what, that was not a good day for me because I'd done so much of the work and I got so much of it right. But I never crossed the finish line. And I learned something that day that it's not how you start. It's not all the great work you do in the middle. It's how you cross that finish line. And, and I learned that day, you got to take out the trash. And if somebody's, I'm preaching this to somebody you still got a bag of trash in your garage and it's stinking up your life. You just got to finish it and take out the trash, you know? Um, you just got to finish it. You just got to finish it. As, as that day just etched itself into my mind and I started to understand how this works so that when I was promoted, I had that habit of like, got to finish it, got to finish it, got to finish it. And so, see, I worked with a guy who was a South African guy who was way smarter than I was, like 10 times smarter than I was. And he had talent and he had everything. I would call him in when I would get stuck and he would fix my problems for me, you know. But he wasn't very good at the big new sites. And I had one advantage over him. He was better at everything than I was, but I had one advantage over him. I learned discipline. I learned to finish the race. And so what, what we had this idea on, on the cruise that I would, would run to finish these jobs, I'm like, zero callbacks. Yeah. The only time we get called back is when a light bulb stops working. That's it. We never leave anything unfinished ever. Sean knows. He, he was on my, one of my cruises. Finish it. Finish it. Make a list. Finish it. Have somebody check it. Have somebody else check that. Finish it. Finish it. When we walk away from there, we don't have to think about it again. It's done. And, and that's all that I had was this discipline that my father drilled into my life. Like, finish the job. It's not done. Quit bragging about how well you did if it's not done. Finish it. Finish it. Finish it. I had a site super one time who was interviewing somebody. And he said, oh, yeah, the interview is great. But I walk out to the parking lot with them afterwards. And I poke my head in their car. I'm going to be hanging out in the parking lot. Let's see what Amy's car looks like. Amy, she pulled up beside my motorcycle last night and she was racing me in her Toyota Yaris. Vroom, vroom, sounded like a sewing machine. I'll pop my head in that car and just be like, hmm. Isn't that an interesting thought? Like he's like, how is, how is my sight gonna be any different than that car? How you do anything is how you do everything. I thought, oh wow, I learned something that day. You're only as successful as your habits Allow. You want promotion, you spend all your time asking for promotion, looking for promotion. God's like, if I promoted you, the throne would be the worst thing for Saul because Saul had terrible habits and terrible character. Where did David learn how to be a king? He didn't learn how to be a king on the throne. He learned how to be a king in the field. He learned how to be a king because he cared for the sheep. That's why he went after the lion and the bear. He went after Goliath, not for status. He went after Goliath because he still cared for the sheep of Israel. That's what made him a great king. People with bad habits tend to demand that you have good habits to divert attention away from their bad habits. And because there's generally a lot of slack to pick up. Somebody's like, I should be laughing, but it's me. <laughs> 
Good habits are, here, here's, here's what I want to say. If you just hear one thing this morning, hear this. Good habits are rarely formed when the sun is shining. So you're like, yeah, I felt like I was in jail all week. Perfect. Do you know where good habits are formed? Right there. You are waiting for the circumstance to change so that you form good habits. But do you know that that's not when Israel, like when everything was good, that's when Israel left God. And you're going to see it in the story today when Nebuchadnezzar uh, invades Jerusalem. When things are good, that's where we get comfortable. And that's where we stop living according to character and according to good habits. Because good habits remind you that you're not special. They remind you to play in the sandbox by the same rules. You know, I want my kids to have covenant eyes on all of their devices so that they stay clean and pure. That's a bit hypocritical if I won't. And so I remind them like, no, dad's just as flawed as you are. And you're like, pastor, you don't. Do you have a problem? I'm like, I don't have a problem because I have covenant eyes. And I treat myself like an addict. What? I didn't preach this in the first service. Here's how addicts get free. You are addicted to something in your life. Your flesh, your way of thinking, a victim mentality, selfishness, greed, money. You're, just, you're addicted to something. You might always be addicted to that thing. Here's how you get free. Good habits. How does an addict get free? good habits. I go to meetings. I get help. Do you, you know, I mean, the 12 step program, there is something outside of me. We would call him Jesus wanting to help me. And I need it. Cause if not, I'm going to go back. Yeah, it's this habit. I get together with, I get together. I'm not better than I need the support and help of other people. I need to give support and help to other people. I don't do this. I one day at a time, one minute at a time. I don't worry about tomorrow. Come on. Yeah. You want to get out of those habits. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Good habits are formed in famine. They are formed in war. Do you know where you're going to learn how to fight fair in your marriage? When you're fighting in your marriage. I just want to learn what I... You don't. I mean, nobody goes to financial freedom because their money's working for them. <laughs> no, we wait till we're in trouble. We wait till we're broke. Then we go. Then it seems like a good idea. You know, nobody goes to freedom group to deal with the baggage of your past so you can walk into your tomorrow if the baggage of the past isn't drowning them, you know? And so this is the best time for you is the time in prison. Think about the life of Joseph right now. You know, Joseph in the Bible, first of all, Joseph, he's not the smartest guy when he starts, you know, he ends, you know, next to Pharaoh, saving Israel, saving Egypt, you know, he ends out there, but where he started was like, and I had this dream that the sun and moon and 11 stars would bow down to me. And his brothers are like, what? You know, little boy, little brother didn't say that. He had crammed in a locker the rest of the day. Shut up, Joseph. Like, oh, we're going to hear about these stupid dreams again. You know, don't tell your dreams to everybody. Don't tell your dreams to everybody. He does something stupid. And then his brothers, you know, you think to yourself like, Pastor, you don't even know how bad I got it. Okay. Maybe it's not quite as bad as Joseph, but let's talk about Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery because it's like, we're going to kill him. We're going to sell him and we can't make any money if we kill him. So let's sell him and make money. That makes sense, right? So that was their big decision. He gets sold as a slave to Potiphar. He does everything right. Potiphar's house is blessed. Potiphar's wife hits on him. He does what the Bible says and flees temptation and gets thrown in jail for his trouble. Yeah. Did not sign up for it. Not his fault. Not his problem. Yeah. And then he's in jail and he spends two years sulking and complaining. No. Sitting there wishing he had it different. No, he didn't. Here's, here's what I want you to take away. How you are in prison is how you'll be on the throne. How you are right now is how you'll be if you ever get success, only more so. He built character in prison. Why? Because he built habits there. When he was on the throne, he didn't forget about prison. His habits reminded him of who he was and where he came from. 
Some of us, man, we get a few years into Christianity and all of a sudden we're not the addicted, crazy people that we used to be. And then we start lecturing people about how great we are. And God's like, you're falling out of good habits that you could fall back into bad habits again because you forgot who you are and you forgot who did the heavy lifting. Your habits remind you where you come from. Daniel and his friends, his small group of guys, developed good habits in captivity. Now, you've got to quit wishing that your circumstance changed. Your circumstance is usable by God. In fact, it might even be planned by God, even though God does not give in, you know, it's not sin, it's not temptation, it's not all of that. But God can use pain to train. And here's what I know. Some Christians are trying to escape the cross. Man, you've got to hang on the cross. Pick up your cross daily and follow me is what Jesus said. Well, I don't deserve this cross. And Jesus is like, I know. You want the resurrection? Pick up the cross and follow because your life today is not about your life today. It's about somebody's life tomorrow. And you spend all your time trying to escape the pain of your past. But God's like, if you would have the courage to sit in it, I could give you the grace for it. And then somebody else doesn't have to go through any of it. But you can't forget about it. Oh, you just want to escape, man. I'm, I'm preaching from experience. You just want to escape the pain and the suffering and the torment. You just want to escape, but God's like, if you just have the courage to sit, there's grace for the cross. There's grace for this time. There's grace for this prison. I need to teach you something so that you can maybe save this person from that. This small group from that. This company from that. You sit in the middle of it. God will be there. God will help you. I think what we do sometimes is we... We hope that we win the marriage lotto ticket. I'm preaching a series next called Perfect Family. That's sarcastic. <laughs> oh, Lord, if you would just bring the right one to me, I could be happy and we could ride unicorns <laughs> through the fields together. And God's like, if I brought you the right one, you'd wreck them. Because you're the wrong one for the right one. <laughs> Here's the only thing in marriage that matters. Be the right one. Are you trying to make her the right one? God's like, be the right one. Wake up, read your dang Bible. <laughs> be the right one. I'm talking to you right now. I'm not talking. Look, I'll talk to them if they get up and read the Bible. I'm talking to you. Oh, it's going to be such a good, I'm going to give you practical ways how to parent, parent your killed children, practical. I'm going to give you, preach one called how to stay married, if it, that interests anybody. And it ought to, if you're married, just saying. Perfect family, I love it. The most powerful people are never the most talented, and they're never the ones who had the best childhood. So stop treating that like it's your excuse. It's not. Your success comes from beating those giants. Maybe we just never beat those giants yet. The people who have done the best in this lifetime are the people who had it worse sometimes because they learned how to quit telling themselves a story that keeps them addicted. They learned they're not special. They learned they're going to have to work harder than everybody else. They learned habits in prison. They learned habits when it was hard. And that's what God wants for you. God sees way more in you than you see in you, by the way. God's like, I'm going to work on the character. And you're like, God, if you could just give me promotion, God's like, I'm doing that. I'm doing, that's why I give you that two-year-old that made a pact with the devil. That's why I gave you that child. That's why I gave you a difficult husband. That's why, because we got to work in the character. If you get the character, you get it all in the end. Now, the devil doesn't particularly care if you work real hard for a month, if you can undo it in an hour. 
And your habit is like playing good defense. And when you play good defense and you have excellent habits in your life, like Daniel and his friends had, if you have excellent habits, you don't get scored on when other people get scored on. Now, who cares how many goals you can score with your talent if you get scored on? And this is what we're going to do today. I'm going to teach you how to build good, good defense. It's not how you start the race that matters. Listen to me. Your family of origin doesn't matter. Stop it. Your past sin doesn't matter. The past sin that was done to you doesn't matter. You know what outranks them all? Your habits. Your habits will beat them all. Your habits will win out in the end. Your habits will build the character of God in your life. All right, Daniel chapter 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, I'm going to hurt your feelings right now, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over the king of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So he took them back and put them in his own temple. God permitted Nebuchadnezzar to win. You're like, God, why are you permitting this thing to happen to me right now? Well, here's what I know. The children of Israel never left God. You know, they searched for God in hard times, but in good times, they got comfortable and they left their good habits of like sacrificing at the temple and worshiping and being honest. They thought that wealth, all of a sudden they don't need it anymore, Canada. Like, God, thank you for giving us this country when we came from lands of famine and we came from religious persecution. Thank you for the country, but we don't need you anymore because we got your stuff. And then we forget about the Lord our God, and we forget about the habits that got us here, and we forget about the things that God could bless. And, and it says that the Lord gave him victory over, and this is what you have to struggle with as a Christ follower, is sometimes you're in a situation that God wants you in, because he's not done building you yet. Now, building applies pressure, and it's hard, and it feels unfair, and I get it. But look, that's where you're going to find it. The king ordered uh, Ashpenaz his chief of staff to bring the palace to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble f- families who had been brought to Babylon as, as captives. And he says, select only strong, healthy looking, or healthy, strong, healthy, thinking complete, strong, healthy, good looking, I'm not thinking of him anymore. <laughs> he said, he said, man. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment. Okay, I'm coming back to him now, okay. And are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. I got all lost in that. Okay, and you're like, okay, good. They get to grow up in that courts of the king. What a great opportunity for them. Okay, here's what really was going on. Nebuchadnezzar invaded their country and killed a bunch of their family members and kidnapped them. And they're there, and they're still crying, and they don't know what to do, and they're like, I can't show weakness to these people that I'm a slave in their homes, and I don't know what to do right now, and I've lost everybody, and all I got are these three brothers of mine from the similar, we're all just hurting. We, we don't know what to do. This is it. You know, I think we're going to start, you know what I'm going to start doing in the church? I love that men come to Venue Church. I love that we have a high percentage of men here. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do a, a Zoom call on Tuesday night at 7, just for an hour. I'm going to teach you how God wants you to be better, man. I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm going to show you how to lead in your homes when they don't want you to. But I'm, going to I'm going to push you. I'm going, to, I'm going to see that God gets everything into your life that he wants. Girls, get your guys in that thing. Oh, my goodness. So they're together, and they're hurting, and they're suffering, just like you are. You know, and you, you, you and I, we have, when times are good and we're so comfortable, like, we get offended at the funniest things, you know. I walk in the door, and Aaron doesn't look at me right and I'm like, respect. <laughs> just do what I do all the time. Just open the door. I'm like, I'm home. <laughs> Children. Aaron. You know. 
You changed your hair for the 14th time that week and your husband didn't notice? <laughs> Have you ever met somebody like us? And then we got to sit there and like, and you're sitting there all expectant. You're like, oh, happy anniversary. <laughs> no, look, these people are actually suffering with, and somebody here is really suffering with things. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Okay, this seems good, but it's a trap. It says they were trained for three years, and th then they would enter the royal service. Uh, and it says these, these young men were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of the staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. I'm going to get to that in a minute. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So let me just explain this. Some of the things on this menu weren't things on, that God had put on Israel's menu of eating. He had very specific rules for them. And so I don't know why that is, if it was for health reasons or just because God is God and sometimes he's just like, just don't do this, you know. It'll keep you from something. It'll make you healthy. It'll be disciplined. So there's a few reasons why. It, the first reason being there were probably forbidden foods. Maybe another reason might be like because their people were brought over as slaves too. And the whole idea of, of um, they were being propagated by the soft, they were being softened up so that they would forget that maybe their own people were starving. So it's this whole idea of like, the devil doesn't care if you have a lot, if you forget about your starving neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and is scared to death right now. You know, and so, so there's this idea maybe there of like, we're not going to forget this. And, and they just knew that, that the, the road to softness and the road to leaving God started right there. Yeah. He just knew it. There was something about, he just knew that if I, if I give into this thing and if I get undisciplined about this, then the, what's to stop the rest from, from coming? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm an addict to comfort. I'm, I, I, I can't forget my people. I can't forget my God. It says, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, which he didn't use for his advantage. He used it for the advantage of the kingdom. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king. This is the chief of staff who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. Um, this is different than your boss telling you something to do. He says, if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. So, like, the worst thing that happens to you at work is, like, they let you go, but you still get to clean your desk out and take your stuff with you, you know? It's not like, leave your head here. And, you know, yeah, I got fired today. Well, obviously, you don't have a head, you know? Sorry. Too far. That's way too far. Don't leave the church. This is what I do normally. Um, <laughs> Daniel spoke to the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after them. And he said, please, you know, this is how he approaches. He doesn't come in demanding. He's like, please, like, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. This is a great way to affect change, by the way. Like, hey, this is not going to cost you anything. Um, here's, here's a suggestion. What, what if you let us do this? You know, you don't have to do anything. We'll do it. Um, at the end of 10 days, see how we uh, look compared to the other young men and, uh, who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating food assigned by the king. Now, most of the time when I'm preaching, like, it's like this, you know, power, awe, kingdom of God. And you're like, this doesn't sound very spiritual. Here's what I know. Your habits are extremely spiritual. Yeah. People are like, you know, why do you organize your church in the way that you do in its structure or in its finances? You know, that's not very spiritual. You know what's not spiritual? <laughs> Uh, a church failing because we spend money improperly because yeah. I don't have checks and balances because we don't, we're not insane about budget. And if a church fails, it fails for spiritual reasons. Like 
you lose your spiritual, you lose your authority, you lose your everything. That's why we got to sweat some of these things. It's the habits that you live in. It's very spiritual. And so, so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. They went on a vegetable and water diet. Vegans, you won! I normally am making fun of you guys, but you were right. Should I repent for my, like, food is what, veg you know, how is that? vegetables are what food eats? That's what I believe. Vegetables are what food eats. Awake my brain and get the jokes of the pastor. Watch this. This is what I want for you. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude. Like in a whole room of people, they were better. Watch, watch. An unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Not just gaining knowledge. To gain knowledge, they knew how to apply it. They knew what to do. That's what I want for your life. I want you to know how to deal with that two-year-old child, even though it's different than the other one you had. I want you to know what to do. And it says, God gave Daniel. So he gave them this unusual aptitude. God gave it to them. They weren't born with it. They didn't earn it. They didn't. God gave it to them. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. God can make you a good wife, even if your mom was a bad one. God can do it. Yeah, right. If you do the habits, if you do what they do. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. He talked with them. No one impressed them as much as Daniel and his three small group guys. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment. Anybody need a bit of wisdom and balanced judgment? Because you're always freaking out about the wrong things. Darren, I'm home. Everybody look at me. He found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. He found them 10 times more capable. Now God is much more than 10 times more capable than the gods of the country that we happen to live in or the gods that you used to serve. God is far more than 10 times more capable, but if you would build your habits, God can make you 10 times more capable than the people around you. Not so you get rich and buy a boat, but just so that you get rich and buy a boat and take me out with you. So that you bring, <laughs> I'm not kidding about that. I, I don't want to own a boat, but I want friends who have boats. So that's fine. God bless you. Buy a boat. Take me with you. And I'm not paying for gas because I have a pastor's salary. Here's what I want to say to you today. It doesn't sound very spiritual, but here's what I want to say to you today. What does, all they did was eat vegetables. What does eating vegetables look, look to, like, in your life this week? What does eating vegetables mean to you? All they did was eat vegetables. We just did one thing. We just did, we just changed one thing. You know, if you're a six-year-old boy or maybe just a boy, eating vegetables probably just means you eat your vegetables this week. <laughs> Represent. What, what does that look like for you though? Some of you just need to wake up on time to an alarm clock. That's what it would mean this week. I'm just going to do one thing and then next week I'm just going to add a little thing to it. After a year, your life will be 10 times better than it is today. Yeah. And the life of the people around you will be 10 times better. Why? It's, just, it's this concept of like God has the talent. You need to give him a platform that it can land in. How is it that, that people who win lotteries within a few years are more broke than they were when they, because they had no platform for it. They had no character. They had no habits. They don't know how to handle it. This is where God wants you to learn how to handle it in prison. When it's back. What would it look like? To, 
God gets the first of my day. I'm going to wake up. I'm not going to turn on the radio. I'm not going to whatever, shower. I'm just, I'm going to open the word of God. He gets the first. God gets the first of my paycheck. I'm tired of giving him what's left over. I'm going to give him the first and let him worry about the rest. What does it mean to you? You know, here, here's when I get in a fight with my spouse, I'm going to go out and walk and pray for half an hour and pray for them who spitefully use me. Bless my enemies, Lord, in my own home. Come on. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to engage when I'm angry. I'm going to keep my dang mouth shut like an adult. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray, God, bless them. God, help them. I forgive them. God, I can't change them. They're not listening. And pretty soon God will be like, you're not listening. Let's talk to you. Bless them, Lord, who hate me. God's like, I love you. Relax. What's it going to look like in your life today? Just add one vegetable. To Somebody needs to, your vegetables, like just jump on the men's Zoom call. Add a good habit. I'll teach, I'll teach what the Lord wants for your life. Jump on it. You know, get your kid in a youth group. Add a vegetable in their life. Eat your dang vegetables, man. I'm tired of dealing with you all week, man. Go to youth group and have your youth leaders tell you the same thing I'm telling you. But they care about what they think. Here's, here's, let me end it with this. Do you know that the name that God gave Daniel, that his parents gave him, who his parents might not even be alive. This is the name that he was given by his parents in the Hebrew. It means Daniel, God is my judge. This is what they changed his name to. Belteshazzar means Bell's prince. You don't belong to God. You belong to this other guy now. This other God. Anybody ever had somebody speak to you over your life and bring a curse into your life? The name Hananiah, his friend, means beloved by the Lord. They changed that name. Society, where he was in his captivity, changed it to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun god. Not that sun, this sun. The name Mishael, meaning who is as God, was changed to who is like Venus. The name Azariah, meaning the Lord is my help, was changed to serpent of Nego, meaning you ain't got no help. You know what they did when they ate their vegetables? They reminded themselves of who God called them from the womb to be. Every time they ate vegetables, they're like, these taste terrible because they're vegetables, but the Lord is my help. God is my judge. They can't tell me what I'm worth. God is my judge. I am beloved by the Lord. You can hate me, but God loves me and I'm good. My dad may not have liked me, but God loves me and I'm good. How about this? There is nobody like my God. They keep, the devil keeps like telling you like, there's nobody like me. I can mess your marriage up. And you're like, there's nobody like my God. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to bless them. How about the Lord is my help. The Lord helps me. I, I don't feel like I have any help. The Lord is my help in prison. The Lord is going to help me build character. You ready? Yeah. Hashtag not a victim. Yeah. Victor. Yeah. Hashtag not the end the beginning. Hashtag, this is not a grave, it's a garden. <laughs>